afternoon, and uh, I'm not really nervous. I would be, I suppose, if I wasn't among friends, but I feel like I'm among friends. And, and I've seen some of you under pressure at different times, and I don't know why we feel pressure, except that we have a great work to be done, and we don't like to uh, have an opportunity like this get by without getting the most out of it. Amen. I might read one scripture and then you can start timing me. That's the way people do, you know. They don't really don't start until you read a verse. And uh, I'll have a few things to say before we begin. This will be in the book of Romans. This is not my text. If I, it's part of my text. It is part of it. Amen. Romans 4 and 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness. Amen. Some of us really like that. Some of us don't. But we'll be talking about it as we go. May the Lord bless you. Amen. You'd be seated. I appreciate Brother McDaniel inviting me back again. And uh, it's always a thrill to come here. So different than our country. Amen. Can you hear me out there? Is, am I coming across all right? Can you hear me? Okay. I mean, nobody said anything. I thought you couldn't hear me even when I said that. <laughs> uh, as long as you can hear me, I, I don't need to hear myself. I, I think I know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, just to see my friends again, such a thrill. Over there, all they are. I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, little Phillips met his daughter over in Houston the other day, and uh, she stood out. We were able to pick up that group, Pentecostal people in that other group. And I have seen Brother Seal, Malcolm Seal. Hadn't seen him in years and years. He hadn't changed a bit, it don't look like. And then uh, Brother Richard Dupree, I like not to recognize him. It's just good to see each of you. I won't be able to call everybody's name. But I enjoyed the service last night. Amen. We have a powerful evangelist coming to us in the evenings. And uh, we're... Pounds, yeah, 150. Kind of like Brother McDaniel, I'd like to have his scale. <laughs> it would be, be a nice trophy to take home. Amen. And Brother uh, Gilmer, so good to see him. It was his church the other night, but he wasn't there. Now, that's, that's trust, isn't it? Announce a man and then just leave. That's, Oh, he tried to call me, but he wasn't able to call me. And once again, it's so good to see Brother Bullock. And I really enjoyed what he had to say last night about the potential in Russia. And uh, I don't know about how you feel, but this is how I feel. And we couldn't have a better representative over there. And I know he believes the message, and I like the way he tells it. Like his spirit, his approach, his mannerisms. God just got a wonderful little, little package wrapped up there and where the boy. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So good to see Brother Wheeler again. Brother Wheeler and I got acquainted about, I don't know, around 20 years ago and uh, just remained friends through the years. He came to our church the other day and and he, he really plowed. He's really done some great preaching. And I believe there's two families that possibly might not have made it if he hadn't have gotten there with a, a wonderful message on authority. Never heard it any better in my life. It was just, uh, he stayed on it about three nights, and I thought, maybe he's exhausted this, but he didn't. The last night he brought out new things. That, that was just great, and I do appreciate him, his friendship. I want to talk to us today about something I hope that, uh, I, I believe it's valuable, I'll put it that way. And so I don't really hope it is, I know it is, it's valuable. Get away from this, uh, we use little qualifiers now and then for ourselves, I'll just drop them for the moment if you'll allow that. This, uh, as I mentioned, is not my text, but I want to start with it, maybe this will help. There. Got it? Ooh, that's a lot better. That uh, I remember what Jesus uh, was talking just before he was crucified. He was telling them that he's going to have to uh, go through some heavy trials, and Peter didn't like it. Peter rebuked him. And I believe Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't really necessarily think he's calling Peter Satan, but uh, the thought of denying what he came on earth to do. He come here to die in my place and yours. And, uh, you know, when, when his objective was threatened, I want that thought behind me. Get behind me, Satan. I don't want to listen to that. But uh, later, Peter uh, declared that he would never lead him. So the, you know, the shepherd's going to be smitten and the flock's going to separate and part. And Peter said, I'll never, I'll never leave. And uh, Jesus gave some predictions of what he was going to do before the cock, uh, cock-a-doodle-dood. And, uh, but he said, I, I prayed that your faith fail not. Right. You're going to see some things, mm-hmm. Peter, that you're going to go through some things, and I have prayed right, for you right. that your faith fail not. Right. And uh, when I first received the Holy Ghost way back, just a teenager, and if I would have heard somebody talking like this, I'd have no idea what necessarily lay out ahead of me. And I don't necessarily think Peter knew what lay out ahead of him. But Jesus knew that there's going to, a test is going to come. And I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. He said, then when you are converted, I want you to strengthen the brethren. Then I, I read uh, where that, I, I guess I could read it, but it, you know it's there. Will he find faith when he returns? When the Son of Man comes back, Will he find faith? Faith is a precious commodity. Uh, without it, you can't be saved. That's right. He that believeth and is baptized shall right. be saved. Right. If we could just baptize you by, you know, knocking you in the head, dragging you to the water, baptize you. When you woke up, you hated every minute of it, didn't matter. We got you in the water, you're all right. Uh-huh. No, it has to have faith. Gotta have faith. He that believeth. Uh, and is baptized and then faith is a very it, it, it has a tenacious strength about it but it is possible for your faith to fail I 
I don't like to think that. I think faith is a very healthy, robust thing that we have. But uh, Jesus did tell Peter, I'm praying that yours won't fail. And so there is a possibility That's right. that your faith could fail. Maybe in the state you're in right now, you just look so puzzled and think, my faith failed? How would that ever happen? But things can happen. Mm -hmm. I had a very personal good friend of mine, been a friend of mine for many, many years, knew him before he was married, and he had a, a terrible, terrible trial of his faith. And uh, as I visited with him in that hospital room where he was about to lose a loved one, and it looked like that nothing was going to happen. It looked like he was going to lose that boy. And he looked so perplexed, and he looked so, really, and he just looked washed out. And I said, uh, he said, I've got a problem, a deep problem. I never had this problem before. And uh, I said, are, are you believing, are you beginning to be worried that there's inequities in God? And he said, to be real honest with you, I'm beginning to believe there's inequities in God. I said, put that thought from me. Put it away. There are no inequities in God. God knows it all. Yes, sir. But in the heat of his trial, he was perplexed. He came through it. He's just doing fine. Don't worry about that. But you never know what you're going to go through. That's Jesus right. said, I pray that your faith fail not. And then we read uh, here in Romans, fourth chapter, what can we say about Abraham that he found that's so great? And uh, I look, and in my mind's eyes I see it, that God was looking on earth. He was searching. Now, he wasn't looking for somebody six foot eight, broad, shouldered, intelligent, wise, rich, capability, handsome. He could have found all that, I suppose, he wanted. I imagine there's a few fellows like that. I don't know. I've never seen a handsome man, really. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> but uh, I've seen some that look a little better than others. Maybe some look worse than others. But God wasn't looking for commonness. He wasn't looking for brilliance. He wasn't looking for those things. And you already know, his eye, he was looking for faith. He wasn't looking for a do-gooder necessarily. He was looking for faith. Because when he finds faith, he'll find a man that, can, that he can control. He'll find a man he can trust. He'll find a man that'll stay true because he believes. You see, you can't stay true to what's being preached here, though we have, a, I believe, a great man of God that stands in this pulpit and holds the truth. He's a great watchman. But you can't live it just because he preached it. You've got to have faith. Not just faith in him, either. Because when he's not around, what's going to hold you? Our faith has to, we have to believe in God. And when we believe in God, what a precious thing it is to believe. All the young fellows, young guys I was raised with, went to school with, out of all the hundreds, that if I thought I could remember a lot of their names, but out of all of them, it seems like I'm the only one that I know of that God selected to deal with. And I, I know it's nothing good I did. I wasn't a good kid. 
I, I ain't gonna tell you all I did when I was a kid. I wouldn't want my mom to hear about that. She thought I was a good boy. And now and then I slip and tell her, and she said, I didn't know you did that. I said, Mom, there's probably a lot of things you don't know about me. But I do remember that when I would go to the house of God, I would feel something moving me. I sat next to my cousin, and uh, many times I'd say, let's, let's go up and pray. They'd say, no, no, we don't do that. And they, I wouldn't because I was with them. I would feel like going and praying. I, I wanted to go down and cry out to God and ask him. It was, see, I'm the one at night that when I got thinking about the coming of the Lord and get to think about heaven and hell and the rapture and those that didn't get to go, tears would come out of my eyes and go down in my ears. And, and in the middle of the night, I'd say, Mom, yeah, are you awake? Yeah. Why? Oh, uh, just want to know if you're awake. Why? I'm in here, scared to death. I didn't tell her that. I said, then a little bit, I'd say, I've done this a lot of times. Mom, uh, do I have to go to church to get the Holy Ghost? She said, well, no, you can get it at home or anywhere for that matter, but church is the best place to go to get it. Why? Oh, I don't know. I just wondered. And then, oh, God, don't let me die, Jesus. Oh, God, I want to, I want to make her. Why? You know, nine, ten years old. Why did I have to? I just believe what they told me. That's, I don't know why. My pastor, I was just a kid. He, he wasn't really my pastor at that time. I'd just go to church and hear him. Big old heavy Texan, losing his hair, told it like it was. And I, uh, I believed it. I believed there was a God somewhere, and I believed that he's coming back to the earth. I believed that uh, when they said you must be born again, I believed you had to do that because they read it out of the Bible. And my mama told me that. She said, oh, yeah, you'll have to have the Holy Ghost, and you'll have to be baptized to be saved. And here I am, just a little boy. And I believed it. Others heard it and didn't believe it. I, I don't know. Who, who do I credit this to? The Bible said faith comes up by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I have to give credit to those that took time to tell me. Those that wasn't afraid to stand in a pulpit and preach it. It fell on the ears of a child, but I'm telling you, children remember what they hear. And it does move them when they hear things concerning God and eternity. Ah, hear preachers say things that would just scare me to death. I say, one man got up and he said, I, a real country, so I want to try to describe eternity. He said, if the earth was a steel ball like a ball bearing and a canary made a round trip between here and the sun, and it took him a thousand years, whatever it was. And when he got to this earth, he landed on it and wet his feet on this steel ball. When that canary wears that steel ball down to nothing, eternity just begun. And in my mind, I said, that'll never happen. I mean, a canary wiping his beak on a ball bearing the size of this earth, and he's going to wear that out, and I'm going to be in hell all that time? No wonder I, tears would go down my eyes. And no wonder I'd say, Mom, are you, are you in there? Do I have to go to church to get the Holy Spirit? And at about 13, somehow the faith that got in my heart moved me, and I came to an old altar. Got the Holy Ghost the very night I was repentant. 
changed my life. Hallelujah. But I believe that the Lord prayed for Peter, and I believe he's prayed for me because I've been through things since then, and I'm sure you've been through things. I don't think that uh, my faith has wavered, but I do know that our, our faith is tried. And when God looked at Abraham, it wasn't anything else that attracted him to Abraham like his faith. It was his faith. Now, faith is important. I want to take time out. Y'all gave me plenty of time this afternoon. Um, I'm going to say things I had no idea I was going to say, and that's how, that's how preaching is. But if you've got faith, if this is all you can see about faith, is getting your healing for a sickness, or a sickness of a loved one, some miracle faith for healing, we love that, and we do have healings, and I'm not putting that down. But uh, we're all going to pass from this world. That's right. And if, if your faith is contingent upon whether uh, you pray for somebody and they get the healing or not, and if they don't, then you're going to lose out with God. Got a man in our church. We prayed for his wife. His wife was not healed. We buried her. The man never come back to church. His faith was predicated on the wrong thing. And he'd been hearing me preach for years. Said he still believes, but he don't believe enough to come to the house of God, so he don't know he don't believe enough. I'm praying that his faith will revive. Hallelujah. And so it's not just sit the tent, get some loudspeakers, praying for the sick. That's faith, all right. That's good faith. Trinitarians claim that. Charismatics claim that. I'm talking about the overall faith in the name of our God. Hallelujah. Faith in what he did at Calvary. Faith that he didn't fail in his project. When he came to this earth, he did not fail. He accomplished what he came to do. He made it possible that I can be saved. He made it possible that my sins can be washed away. Oh, hallelujah. I got faith in that. I have faith in Jesus' name baptism. I have faith in the fact that I receive the Holy Ghost and talk with other tongues. And I know that it was real. Hallelujah. Somebody said, if you didn't know when you got it, you wouldn't know when you lost it. And I know I got something that was so different. So different. I was only 13, but I know it was different than anything I'd ever experienced before. And then I didn't just experience it that one time. I still experience it. I still get cold chills. My hair stands on end. I still feel like screaming sometimes, hallelujah, because it's real, it's alive. It's not something that's just here today and gone tomorrow, and, and we grow weary of it like we would some hobby or toy. Amen, but it, but it is our life. And so uh, I'd like now, if we will, to turn with me to the book of First Peter. first chapter, and we'll start reading about the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a lively hope. It's not a dead thing, it's a lively hope. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that faith is not away. Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Hmm. 
we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. So now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold means many, many temptations. That's verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I, I don't think that I would be wrong to say that the trial of your faith is precious. The trial of your faith is precious. And this puts the emphasis on trial. I think that we would all be a little more correct if we would focus more on the faith. That your faith is precious. If the trial of it killed it, then the trial wasn't so good. But the faith is what he's going to be looking for. Will he find faith when he returns? Your faith is imperative for your survival. You quit believing, you can't continue. You will quit. You may hold, as it were, a show for society. But if, if your faith dies, you're dead. You come to church, you may dance, and you may shout just to please somebody, but you don't feel it. You see, what we have is real. It's not just put on. And if your faith is dead, you've got nothing to shout about. You've got nothing to be happy about. I'm talking about a dead faith. It's like, I mean, you're dead. When it comes to the Word of God, it don't thrill you. We're talking about heaven. It don't thrill you. Talk about hell. It don't scare you. Because you don't believe no more. That's right. Faith is dead. But uh, the trial of your faith is precious in that it reveals your faith. But your faith is the imperative thing. That is the commodity that you must have. Guard it with everything within you that your faith fail not. If you start feeling weak in your faith, and I'm talking about if you haven't had this come to you, if Satan hadn't talked to you, he's going to be knocking on your door. And he will even question you as to whether there's a God or not. I mean, you've been shouting and speaking in tongues, and as it were, standing on your head speaking in tongues, and Satan will still talk to you about, is there really a Did these things really happen? Is this what, uh, is this mass hysteria? Are we just caught in, in, a, in a society and in a group of people here, and, and we've just been brainwashed? Oh, if all those things will come to you, if they haven't, better be prepared because they, they most possibly, possibly will, likely will. I've known people that lost their faith. And brother, when you when they lose their faith, you can't touch it. I don't care what you talk about. It, it won't reach them. Because faith is important. Faith is it's a must. You have to have it. You must believe. He's a believer. And he's baptized. He'll be saved. So let's keep believing. So how are we going to keep believing? Keep hearing the preaching. Right. Keep praying. Keep feeling God. I heard of a man that went for 40 years without speaking in tongues. 
He was a deacon on the board. Hadn't spoken tongues for 40 years. So it was no surprise to me later when I heard that he had fallen into some gross sin. I don't know how long you feel comfortable in going without touching God. Some like to touch God several times a day. Some are contented if they can touch God once a day. Some are contented if they touch God once a month. I guess some grow contented if they don't touch God once a year. Waiting for that special revival to come. Waiting for that special evangelism. Sometimes it'd be too many months between special evangelists. Need to learn how to have a, a prayer life of our own. We have dedicated Tuesday night for prayer meetings. We come to church, we don't have we don't sing, we don't do anything. We just come and pray. Oh, what it has done for our church. We've done it for now for several years. And uh, they can come as they are, you know, and get off work, just come on. And we just pray. No program. Nobody's listening to you pray except God. And sometimes I get thinking that might be the only time some of our people are praying. But we need to pray. Why? Because our faith is a very important thing. And if you don't hear from God, look, we're just talking to you today, and something maybe I can say that will help. I want to say this concerning prayer and I've said this before but I, I like it so much I'm going to say it again because some of you have already forgotten it if I happen to have said it here before but uh, most of the time I start praying in what is called a monologue and you know what a monologue is that's what I'm doing right now just one person talking a dialogue is when there's two or more so there's an interaction between thoughts, an exchange of thoughts, in other words. A monologue is generally what we start off praying. It's us addressing him, oh God, Lord Jesus, however you want to approach him. I think a good way is to praise him and forget your problems for just a little while and, and just follow his example when he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Forget our problems and forget our needs just long enough to give him some glory. And the atmosphere will change right then. And then uh, we get into our needs and our requests. And, and I, t I tell you, when it really gets rich, and uh, if you're sitting around someone, you're, maybe you're listening to them pray, not eavesdropping or anything like that, but geez, we hear people pray. And as long as they're screaming at God, that's the monologue. Oh, God, he, oh, oh, one thing right after another. But if you ever, in your own experience, slowed down, and then you hear yourself saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're not requesting anymore. What we're doing, we're hearing him. And he's telling you some things. And when you get into that area of prayer, your face being dealt. When you can hear his voice, you can slow down enough with all your screaming at God and all your demands and requests and hope God. Sometimes we're praying for the benefit of our neighbor. We want to make sure that they know we know how to scream at God. 
just why I like Tuesday night for one reason is nobody's paying attention to anybody else. We're there to touch God on our own. There's such an inclination for us to want to respond to others and pray for the benefit of their ears. I hear it on the radio every now and then, and these radio preachers will pray. And, brother, they're not praying. They're talking to the radio audience. They're not talking to God. They're just making an appeal. Oh, God, lay it on somebody's heart out there to pick up their pen right now. And, uh, incidentally, oh, God, if they don't know my address, I'll give it to them again. Jesus, right here while we're praying. Uh, they're not praying. But, oh, when your soul really reaches out. And God begins to talk back to you. And sometimes the Lord will be coaxing you and rebuking you and, and dealing with you and sending conviction to you. And that's when you'll say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I will, God, go work. All right, God, yes, Lord. Before it's over, if you stay in that vein very long, you can get into other modes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Why? Because I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm not out in the dark. I, I'm not talking to a deaf God. I'm, I'm talking to a God that can talk back. What a wonderful thing it is. We need to have these moments so that our faith will survive. If we don't pray, our faith will die. If we quit hearing preaching and quit running around with the saints of God and hearing their witness and their testimony, amen, I don't know how long faith could survive if we don't make an effort. And acknowledge him daily. You know the old patriarchs, they prayed every day. That's God. Talk to God. Think on God. Meditate on God. But the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. Though it be tried with fire. Hallelujah. It's hard. I'm just getting started, but when I get started, then it's just a little while till I'm done. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory appearing in Jesus Christ. I want to talk about a fiery assay. And those of you who have, been, have read much or been in any kind of mining country, an, an assay is the, actually, it's a testing chemicals and different things, and I'll explain it here in a little bit, to try to uh, determine the quantity of uh, different metals, primarily the noble metals, gold and silver, or even copper for that matter, because it's, it's valuable. But in the case that we're speaking, we're talking about gold. And uh, an assay is, they use chemicals, I use scales, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but I want to talk about the fiery aspect. It can't be done without some heat. You've got to have some heat. And, uh, don't know what to introduce first. Well, since we were talking about God looking for faith, let's go to a mining field. I've, Nevada's got a lot of mines. There's got hundreds of ghost towns. It's, uh, we don't have cattle, and we don't have agriculture and we don't have oil and we don't have but we've got some ghost towns how do you like that and the reason they're ghost towns they got all the gold out of it but there there are still uh some active mining in northern nevada they're taking out 
I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of gold. They call it invisible gold. They have a new process, very much like this process that I'm going to discuss. But uh, this old miner, this old prospector with his burrow and his pick and his shovel and his canteen and his beans and his, and uh, the burrow would follow him. He'd, wherever he went, he'd take his pick and he's looking for color. Finally, he finds a place and decides to camp there a while and do some digging and this is the way it works. And uh, they start digging into the rock, breaking it, and they get what they think is at war, and they spread it all out. After they work for a few days, and they begin to look, and hold it up to the light, trying to get the reflection. If that didn't suit them, but it had something they let over here. And they go through, and they just keep a looking and looking, and finally they find they get them all over here and they set them and they go through and they pick the best one the one that's got more promise than anything else and uh, to town they go and they go to the assayer's office you open? yeah well I I just take the claim out here and I got tons and tons and tons of this and I want to know how much is this worth for some and the man that's doing the assay he's been schooled he has equipment. The first thing he does is uh, get the man's name and location of uh, the claim and such. Then he takes a hammer and he'll break that little piece of ore. It may not be as big as your thumb, but he'll break that up. And then I'll go back to this after I talk about something else. Uh, a stamp mine. When they first started doing the uh, reducing the ore, breaking it up in uh, Washu up in Virginia in the great Comstock load. They didn't have equipment and they uh, they would take uh, oxen and they would spread the ore out and they would run the oxen over it and they'd drag heavy rollers and things. And uh, it pretty quickly would chip the oxen hooves off and they'd have to put shoes on them. And it was a long process. Finally somebody figured out a stamp mill. This is all ancient stuff, but it worked. And what a stamp mill was, is it had a cam, kind of like a crankshaft, and as it turned by steam or water wheel or donkeys or something, this thing would be driven, the wheel would turn and the cam would turn, and it would lift heavy rods, about as big as your ankle, and they were fairly long, they weighed about 600 pounds a piece. They'd lift them and then drop them and lift them and drop them. They're about six in a row. And it would just sound like a thrashing machine. As these rods were like just a hammer and reducing the ore. Well, after uh, they, they would take the ore and take a sledgehammer and break it up where they could get it under the, the hammers and they would call a battery. And as this would be reduced, uh, it would come to kind of like a little, just a powder and just pound it into a powder. Water was added, and then this would turn into a monkey mud. This mud would go to a, a pan, and uh, then there would be another pan and another pan, as this ore would be reduced to just mush, and like mud. It would go through screens. But present in the mud was a mercury, or what we call quicksilver. This is a metal, that's liquid. And the, the reason they use mercury or quicksilver is because it has an affinity 
is what an affinity is. It has, it, it attracts like a magnet. Gold and quicksilver have an affinity like, like two magnets that pull toward one another. An affinity, it's like Freon has an affinity to oil. And in your air conditioning system, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse that uh, the Freon will trap the oil right out of your system and you'll burn your rubs out if you don't have some way to get the oil back in. But it has an affinity, it attracts. There's one air conditioning system called a lithium bromide because it has an affinity toward uh, Freon. It sucks it so much because of evaporation, you get cooling. And so we're familiar with the word affinity. I have an affinity for my wife and I hope she keeps one for me. But Quicksilver has an affinity for gold, and gold has that for it. And so in the bottom of this mud, they'd pour Quicksilver. And uh, then they had paddles that would churn it up, keep it churning, making it possible for the gold to come in contact with the Quicksilver. And, uh, but it wouldn't attract it if, there, if the gold was coated with copper or tin or zinc, uh, it wouldn't stick. So they would add salt and sulfate of uh, copper to cleanse the gold from the less noble metals to clean it up. Then when it got close to the quicksilver, it just went together all in one. And what would happen is that every now and then, a man that would be watching it reach down and feel the quicksilver, see if it's right consistency, if it wasn't right, he'd shake in some salt. If it wasn't right, he'd shake in some sulfate of, of copper, getting it all just right. And then forever, he was forever taking a buckskin bag that had mercury in it, had little holes, and like a salt shaker, he'd make a fine mist, a fine mist of quicksilver all over the mud. And as the quicksilver hit the mud, it would start slowly down through the mud. And on its way down, it would be gathering up the gold and then settle to the bottom. And so the, the more it went, it would rain the quicksilver down, rain it down, and then uh, the gold would be attracted to it. When the day was over, all the mud would be washed off the top, and in the bottom would be nothing but quicksilver, silver, and gold. And uh, have a consistency that they could roll it up like snowballs and they would put it in the fire. And what did the fire do? First thing the fire did is uh, all the mercury would evaporate and it would leave nothing behind but gold and silver. The mercury would evaporate and then it would go through a pipe and it would be cooled, it would condense and it would be pure, pure mercury again to be used again and again and again and again and again never wore out. It was precious stuff and they didn't want to lose that mercury or that quicksilver. And uh, then we wound up with a, with, a, with a ball about the size of a man's head in this particular mill uh, every day. It would be a solid and it would look like silver but about 30% of it would be gold. They would melt it into a block, a brick, later to be processed. And off the corner of that brick, they'd take a chisel and cut a little corner. And that corner went to the assay. And the assayer would take his hammer and beat that down and make it look like a little sheet of paper. And then he would uh, 
roll that up with a little sheet of lead, the two of them together. They'd be rolled up tight, like a little, just a tiny little roll. It would be weighed. The lead would be weighed, and that little piece of silver and gold would be weighed. The scales were so accurate that you could take a piece of paper and weigh it, and then find your name and weigh it again, and there'd be a mark difference, just in the lead off the pencil. Very, very accurate. And then as this was weighed, uh, they put it in the fire and melted again. Uh, but when they did that, they put it in what they call a cupola, cupa, C-U-P-A, cupa. And a cupa, this is very important, stay with me, we're, this is a little tight right here, but, but the cupa was made of crushed bone ash. Bones would be crushed up and burned, and the ashes from bone pressed into a mold, and it would come out looking like a cup, and it was called a cupa. It's just crushed bone ash, just ashes and crushed up bone. And so this little piece of alloy, gold and silver with lead, would be put in there and would be fired to melting point. And as it got hot and began to bubble and boil, the cupa would absorb all of the tin and the iron and all the zinc and all the lesser noble metals would absorb them all. And what did they do with the cupa? Well, after they reached in and it cooled and they took that, that little bit of pure gold and silver and laid it over here and weighed it, then they knew how much lesser, the lesser metal, they knew the content, they knew the percentage. And then they'd take the cupa, they had no more need for it, just throw it out in the backyard. That's all it was good for. But what did it do? It absorbed all of the non-valuables. Everything, they wasn't looking for that. They didn't want that. And then later they took uh, and beat it out thin again, rolled it up, and melted it. And while it was being, uh, while it was melted, they would put uh, nitrate acid in it. And th that acid would dissolve all of the silver. Dissolve the silver. Later to be heated up again, the acid evaporated, silver was recovered. So this was the separation of the gold and silver. They did it with acid. You know, we've also often talked about the acid test. Let me tell you, when, when God's looking for, for gold and when he's looking for faith, he's looking for something that has gone through something. My childlike faith, I, I believe it was sufficient to have been saved. And uh, I believe that just my open faith toward him, God recognized it and he loved it. But the longer I live, the more I realize that a, a pure faith is needed. I mean an unadulterated faith. We hear about churches. that We're not losing one and two, we're losing churches of people. Whole churches. And sometimes whole areas and zones. Going off into charismatic type of, uh, of a thing where they don't believe anything. Women that used to look holy, they don't mind coming out and cutting and dyeing their hair and wear, uh, dressing any way they want to. So what's happened? Something happened that, that their faith was not purified. But all of the things that this church goes through, brother, somebody say, I don't see how in the world God could be in it of all the trouble we've had here. 
Well, what do you think about all the hammering and all the crushing? And what do you think about all the salt and all the, the sulfate and all the treatment and all the stirring? All of this, you know what it's going for? Of ultimately wanting to get pure gold. Ultimately, this is to develop those of you who really believe in God. Who really believe in God. Hallelujah. Our bodies and forms in this analogy that I'm trying to use would be the Koopa. That uh, there are so many things that this body was not designed for heaven. This body was designed for God to work out something eternal within here. An eternal faith, an eternal confidence, an eternal conviction. Well, if you preach that, just listen to me just a little bit. And the Spirit's going to go back to God who gave it. So we know where that's going. And, and, but the soul might wind up in hell. So there you are, all about just about half comfortable. Part of you's in hell and part of you's in heaven. You're, you're not going to be divided up. You know, only the Word of God can divide the soul and the Spirit. It's a concept. The, the soul and spirit cannot be divided except technically, uh, verbally, intellectually, it can be perhaps divided. Here's my thoughts on it. When I was born in this world, I had a spirit, and I'm acquiring my soul. That's the way I look at it. And you say, no, 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 no. Okay, well, just hear me out. I'm not putting this out as a doctrine. This is just something to think about. That every experience I have, my soul is developing. Um, it's like a color book. They give you a coloring book. got black and white. They give you some coloring crayons. You give 40 of them to 40 kids, they're going to have 40 different pictures. Every picture's going to be different. They're going to, one's going to like pink, the other's going to like green. And they're going to like different colors, combinations. And some of them you're going to say, oh, that's pretty. And the other they say, well, why did you paint the grass uh, green? Uh, not green, it's supposed to be green. Why did you paint it purple? Well, I like purple. Painted the grass purple. And so we go through life that all of my experiences, Brother Connolly, has created a different soul, sort of, than yours. Similar, but a little different. We've had different experiences, Brother Wheeler. We've all colored our book a little different. And that, whatever I've colored it, uh, that's, what's, that's what's going to live forever. That's what the Koopa is developing. Now, if, if you want to fuss with me over that we'll do that later but right now I want to talk about what your Koopa is producing God wants us to have a faith in developed in our experiences and if this body is for nothing else I believe that this body was created that we, we came into this world as a temple you worried about this body this body is going to have to be changed it's not fit for heaven. It's going back to the dust. But while we were here, the soul that was developed. So you had a soul all along. Okay, I won't fuss with you. We had a soul and a spirit all along. But the way that soul developed, will you give me that? I'm going to have... It's going to have to be assayed. It's going to have to have something pure. It's going to... if. If it's not developing right, I want him to shake in a little more quicksilver, a little more salt, a little more sulfate of copper. I, I, I want to 
I want something to happen to get rid of the lesser things that, that would cause. And you know what I really see, if I could use this analogy just for our pictorial benefit, is that when we come to the house of God and it's all turned up, I mean, there's a preacher up there and he's a, going through all of this, just like we saw last night and going to have tonight. He's stirring it up. Spirit of the Lord is stirring it up. And you're out here, what are you waiting on? I'm waiting on a rain or something. A little salt, a little sulfate here. Or maybe somehow another conviction can cleanse me and make me ready. And then a little drop of the Holy Ghost comes sailing by. And I, I attach to that. The rain of the Holy Ghost. I'm so glad it rained in my life. Not once, but many times. Every 30 minutes, man would be out there shaking a shower over this old thing, these old pans. He'd shake another shower of Quicksilver. Why? So that faith can be extracted from these moments that we have together. You mentioned something to me a while ago. The lady took off work to be here. And I thought, what I'm going to teach won't be near as beneficial to her as a, an evangelistic service like tonight where everything. And Brother Townley said, just the atmosphere. Just the atmosphere of God. Yeah, when the Holy Ghost begins to fall, it, it has an affinity. If there's any faith there, if there's any hope there, when you see genuine worship and when you see real response, and when you feel the response of the Holy Ghost, oh, now and then a little salt comes by and it'll burn your eyes. And, and now and then a little sulfate of sulfur, whatever that is, Brother, Brother Wheeler would know a little more. He went to chemistry class. It's it got some strong power to it. Anyhow, what it'll do is it'll dissolve copper and tin and separate it and cleanse this pure thing. I don't know what happens in the world, but we hear so much garbage that as children we believe. And then somebody says, you don't believe that. And they just coat your faith with a bunch of garbage. You go to college, uh, what little faith is there? They, they will try to uh, nullify it talking about Darwinism and, and we came from monkeys and apes and, and uh, confused, confusion, confusion. You come to the house of God and, the, and the Holy Ghost is raining and the Word of God is raining and it washes our minds and it helps us to see clear and we can look into the crystal clear Word of God and we can see, yes, there is a Savior. Yes, we were contaminated with sin. But yes, there is a sacrifice. There is a washing. There is a cleansing. There is a hope. Rain it on us, Lord. Wash our eyes. Wash us. Cleanse us from all the ungodly things that we'll hear during the day. Some of the things we read. Yeah. I know... Uh, some of the things I read that even concern this process, uh, uh, Mark Twain, Samuel Clement, uh, he's an atheist. You listen to him, and he'd try to convince you there's no God. I'm glad that every time I've ever heard those that tried to convince me there's no God, I'm glad it was like water on a duck's back. But I do know that there are those that are affected. But when they come to the house of God, all of that negativism can be washed away. I have seen it happen. We had one man 
met him in a rainstorm. One of our men was witnessing to him, a couple of vacuum cleaner salesmen. And he said, yeah, I'm a vacuum cleaner salesman. He, was, he got acquainted with one of our men. Our, our men said, you need, you need to talk to my pastor. So we, I met him in a van. Rain was coming down, making so much noise, couldn't hardly hear. And so uh, I talked to him a little bit about oneness of Godhead and a new birth. And he wasn't buying any of it. His daddy had been a preacher. And uh, invited him to come home with us. This is a long time ago. And my wife had made some wonderful fish stew. I mean, it was good. She had a specialty along that line. And uh, we invited him to dinner with us. And while she was getting it ready, sitting in the living room, and as I began to talk to him about the truth, he said, my whiskers will grow three feet through that concrete before I believe what you're saying. Well, come on, have dinner anyway. They invited him to come to church the next morning, Sunday morning. Now here comes a man that's planning on his whiskers growing through concrete. That Sunday morning, just a common service. There wasn't but about 50 or 60 of us there. The Spirit of the Lord came in. The glory of God was there. And God just began to shake the quicksilver. And I got up and preached. I probably added a little salt, a little sulfate of copper and stuff like that. Wasn't long until he come running down the aisle. Tears streaming down. He said, I want this. What converted him? Why? The Holy Ghost. That's what converted you. Hallelujah. When God reached out and touched you, and you recognize there is a God, and He does take interest in me, and I do feel His presence, and He is inviting me, and I feel the invitation. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that it came by me one day, and there was an, an affinity to it. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost. The faith that was in me and the Holy Ghost connected. I went to an altar. That, that Holy Ghost kept people coming up. One old fellow that I really loved. He was, a, he was an older man and I admired him. He wasn't an older man. He's about 30, but I, he's an older man to me. And I'd be praying and he'd been a mean sinner. And I knew his voice. And he'd come by and he'd lay his hands on me and he'd say, He gave it to me. He can give it to you. He gave it to me. He can give it to you. And then he'd be gone. But every time he'd come by and tell me that, I thought, If you can give it to him, Lord, you can sure give it to me. Hallelujah. And so that was raining on me. And it wasn't long till glory filled my soul. Hallelujah. And all the things that Brother Terry had told me, my pastor, and all the things that my mother had told me, and then I'd remember Sister Beatrice Osball. She would shout and bobby pins would fly and people would criticize her because she'd shout with her eyes open. Later on I figured out you better if you're going to make, if you're going to run like she did, you better have your eyes open. But uh, they thought if you're going to shout, you can't shout and run the aisle with your eyes open. You've got to have your eyes shut. She'd have her eyes wide open just having a great time. And uh, I thought now I know why she's happy. Now I know why hairpins fly. It was such a deep, wonderful, glorious experience. And I, I'm glad that my faith was... It grew when I had that experience, really. Like Daniel. If I, if I believed before, after feeling God like that, I certainly, I certainly believe more now than I did then. But and I, 
I look at that journey that I've been on. I don't know how much is out there ahead, but when I look back, wouldn't pay to remember everything. But my face still alive today. And I know what's keeping it alive. It's coming to meetings like this. It's seeing you. And it's hearing your testimony. And it's hearing the Word of God. And the Holy Ghost reigning. And hearing a choir sing. And seeing young faces that haven't had many experiences. They really haven't. But they're looking hopefully. And they're, they're being thrilled with what they have. I think. I remember when I was that age. I remember how it was. I remember how I felt. And I don't know how I feel now. It'll keep you. It'll hold you. The trial of your faith is precious. Your faith is more precious than gold. And so while we're cooking in these kupas, and while we're being heated up, and all the lesser metals are being, well, you know, like temper. We was having a little graduation dinner for one of our boys, and their family came, and they invited us. And my wife and I was there, and there was about 30, 35 people at this graduation dinner. And this family had some charismatic relatives. They had their little ear bobs, and had their little feather bobs, and, and all of these little bobs. And I told the one, I said, you really look much, much better than you did the last time I saw you. What's happened? And she said, I got rid of bitterness. And she said, you know what it is to be bitter. And I said, no, I don't think I do. And she took it as a facetious statement. In other words, I'm being facetious. Of course I fought bitterness. I was telling her honestly from the bottom of my heart, no, I don't guess I know what you're talking about, <laughs> bitterness. And she took it that I was saying, you know, just being facetious about it. But that got burned out of me. Bitterness. Nothing good I did, but the fire will do it. Oh, man. The fire will cook it out of you. You can't, you can't survive with bitterness. And then anger. It'll get anger. It'll take it out of your life. What will? Well, being around the Holy Ghost and feeling the fire of the Holy Ghost and, and being around the Spirit of God Almighty. You get to where you don't get angry. Say, not me, bless God, I still got a temper. Well, then you still need the Koopa's still going to have to go through something. But one day it will absorb. I don't think you have to be old and gray and stooped and bent and broken and all of that. You, you, the Holy Ghost can work these things out in your life. There are so many things that needs to be worked out and boiled out. Young people that are 18, 19 years old, they get married, you, you, you'll probably have a battle with jealousy. If you think she's cute, you'll think everybody in the world's flirting with her. And that won't make you so mad except you think maybe she's flirting back with them. And then it's time to tear up Jack. And believe me, a man's not the only one that can get jealous. Women can be... I mean jealous. Big time stuff. But the, the Holy Ghost and the fire and the salt and the quicksilver 
and the Koopa. When God comes, he's looking for something that's just pure. That's all. Not contaminated, not all alloyed, but bright and shiny and pure. Hallelujah. And that's what God's trying to work out in all of us. It's not just trying, that's what he is working out. I mean, we, you know, we, we're, we qualify things so much. Say, well, what God's trying to do in my life? Well, God don't just try to do stuff. He does stuff. God is working out things in our life. He is bringing us into perfection. And when he comes, he will find faith. He will find faith. There's going to be somebody ready to go. Somebody is going to be grinding and they're going to go. I know we like the emphasis on, and there's two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Are you going to be the one that's left? I want to think about the one that's taken. Hallelujah. God's got a bride on this earth right now. Oh, we're being refined like gold. Don't you ever kid yourself? There's never a day goes by that we're not being tested, that we're not being, as it were, purified and brought into more and more and more and more perfection. And it seems like that uh, every age turns up a new problem that you have to deal with. I... I had my problems in, as a teenager, as a, in my 20s and in my 30s, and I'll quit talking there. I went on up a little bit further. To, I've had difficulties of, with different feelings and different things in each age. And I tell you, you need a 13-year-old experience. You need an 18-year-old experience. You need a 25-year-old experience. Hey, man, you need an experience all along. And uh, I'm just a little younger than him, and you need an experience when you're as old as that fellow. Hallelujah. New trials, new things that you, new beasts that you have to wrestle with. New things that you never knew existed that you have to start, start fighting. I'm younger than you too. Hallelujah. But we got new things that we have to fight. And what happens? Well, the Holy Ghost is going to get some more faith out of this. You watch and see. This faith is going to be built. When God gets here, I want him to have some faith to attract him to Will he find faith? Oh, help us develop faith during our sojourn here. Help us, oh God, not to lose faith. He said, I'm praying that your faith failing. Gotta keep faith. Jesus is coming. Keep faith. When the Holy Ghost falls, get your share of it. If you haven't felt the Holy Ghost in a while, you need to. But I don't know what that salt feels like coming by. It can it can burn you, maybe. And I got an idea, Brother McDaniels knows how to pour the salt in. You pour it in an open wound, and, and you know you can find an open wound. If you put it in salt water, you can find it. But uh, that's what the church is all about. And one of these days, that little Koopa, our bodies, that's done its job while we were in it. And it's not the valuable thing. Somebody talks about healing for the body. The body's not the important thing anyway. It's that faith that's being developed in there. It's going to live forever. It's that soul, amen, that's being developed in these bodies that's going to live forever. Can everybody say praise the Lord? Now, if I, if I brought up something concerning the soul and the spirit that you don't agree with, don't worry about it. I didn't put it out as a doctrine. I'm just talking about that we are developing 
a soul that God helps us to be able to say when it's all over, I believe, amen, that he's coming back after me. Hallelujah. When it comes time to die, then all the other things are not too important. But uh, the destiny of the soul. This one lady, and I might have told you this before, I'm not sure, but it was so impressive to me. She was a believer. She shouted in church. She'd scream sometimes when the service was dead. She was alive. And uh, sometimes people would want her to be still, but she'd get so thrilled and so moved. When it come her time, she got uh, cancer and was just rotten away. And uh, she lost down to where she just skin and bones. And her big blue eyes were just about all you could see when you looked at her face and her eyes. And she called me into her room and she said, Sister Mefford, would you have Brother Mefford come in alone, just him? I want to talk to him. I want the door closed. I don't want anybody to hear. And my wife said, I'll get him. And so I went in and she said, shut the door. I want to ask you two questions. And the first one was the important one. The other one had to do with after she did what to do with her body. But this one, she said, what's it going to be like when it comes? And her eyes looked happy and excited. I said, uh, well, Sister McCurry, you talking about death? And she said, yes, when it comes, what's it going to be like? I said, well, I've never died. I don't know. It's exactly what I told her. I, so I really can't tell you. And so I had to tell her something. You know, you got to come up with something because they need something right then. And it seemed like the Lord just told me, said, I said, Sister McCurdy, have you ever stood in front of one of those mirrors that it looks like a, a mirror, but if you walk around the other side of it and you look back this way, you can see through it? She said, oh, yeah, I've seen those. I said, well, that's what's happening to you right now and me. We're looking at the shiny side of it. We can't see through it. But in a few minutes, you're going to step through it. And then it'll all be clear to you. And her eyes got big. And she said, thank you. Thank you. It's all right now. As far as I know, she died expecting to step through that mirror into glory. <laughs> That's when faith's important. That's when faith's important. God will help us to hold our faith and keep it right on. Amen. Do with it what you can. Everybody stand. Clap your hands to the glory of God. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I don't think they're expecting us to eat, Brother Melvin. You might check on them out there, see when they'll have it ready. I think we can carry on a few more minutes here. How many of you, this is your first time to hear Brother Mefford speak? Quite a few. Do you wonder why I called on him again? Why, no. Wonderful. Thank God for the teaching today. It helped me. Did it help you? 
And we, we got a brand new young lady right back there. Did it help you? <laughs> Some of the things that he said, I know, has already crossed her mind. Question marks have already been there. She's troubled. But you helped her today, Brother Matthew. Amen. Anybody else got any help today? <laughs> Amen. Now, now I've, I've made a deal. Did we make a deal, Brother Ted? I told him last night, I said, um, I said, now, Brother Ted, tomorrow night I'm going to make a deal with you. If you'll just sit there with your arms folded and your feet still, don't move. I'll give you fifty dollars at the end of the service. He said, mm-hmm. "No, sir, no, sir. <laughs> I don't want you fifty dollars." He said, "I can't stand still." <laughs> Brother Townley's son told me, "says You know what? At home, he nearly tears the pulpit up when Daddy's preaching. What's he doing? He's getting with a preacher. He's back in the preacher." Amen. Uh, I want Brother Alviar to come up and say a few words today. We've got a little time on our hands, brother. Come right up. Everybody said God bless, brother.